In a moment here, uh, Alex is gonna share with us from God's word, but I just wanted to give you uh, an update on our downtown church plant. So uh, Alex is our digital and downtown pastor. And so we just wanted to give you an update on how things are going. They're going really, really well. And, and we're starting to assemble a launch team. And right. there's been some questions about, is this a campus? Is this a plant? Like, what is this? You guys keep using this term expression of journey church. So I'm like, well, it's part of the journey church family, right? What we're doing is we're, we're birthing a church, yep. right? And so we're, we're partnering with uh, with Alex and with his team to birth this church. It's gonna be a great sacrifice on our end and a great joy on our end as well. And so uh, we are supporting him and his team uh, and we're supporting them as part of our family. But they're, they're also gonna be a church plant. Like Alex, as I've got to know him, he's a church planter at heart. And he just wants to see something come to life downtown. And it's exciting. If you're around him for like five minutes, you realize how, how excited he is about something coming to life downtown. And so we're going to leverage, leverage everything that we have for this church plant. Eventually, uh, he'll be uh, his own autonomous plant, right? With, with his own uh, budget, with his own uh, leadership team and all of those things. But we're going we're gonna to launch him into the best possible situation yeah. that he can be in and keep him as part of the Journey Church family. So, so Alex, talk to me a little bit more about what that launch timeline looks like. Some people have been saying to me, well, when does church start? And I'm like, well, listen, church isn't a building. The church is the people. Okay. <laughs> and so he's assembling the church already, but talk to me more about a launch timeline and where we're headed. Absolutely. Well, first off, just want to say, um, it has been, and will continue to be such a pleasure for my wife and I, Sarah, and our little baby Aiden, uh, who's turning 11 months old and had me up at 3.30 a.m. last night. <laughs> yep, that works. Uh, so between that and the Cats game, my voice, you know, we'll see how it goes today. Uh, go Cats. And I and, uh, heard like five woos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we consider it a massive blessing uh, to be able to partner and be part of the family uh, of Journey. Um, some churches do campuses, some do plants, and I will say you're in a select few if uh, you multiply yourself. And what I love about Journey is, as a leadership team, as a congregation, y'all have said, we're going to expand here. We're going to do the Everyone Initiative, which expands here for the next generation down in base camp yep. and opens up the door for more families to come through. But we're also going to extend. Yeah. We're going to extend into downtown. The gospel must go into downtown. And so uh, it's been so much fun so far yeah. uh, getting to do this together. And uh, what we have coming up for the church downtown is... A lot. So this Friday, Christmas on Main, yep. uh, at the Wilson Auditorium. If you haven't been in the Wilson in a while, what a beautiful space. And uh, I used to do jazz choir back there in the day. <laughs> and I don't know how they let me inquire. My mom talked to the teacher, I think, and, and I got in. But it's, it's a space that the, the high school uses. Um, and uh, we're just excited to be in there to bless the kids, bless the school, um, and also get to do Christmas on Main. That might end up being our home. We'll see. Love it. Um, Love it. And then we're going to do... This uh, winter, spring, we'll do some more worship days slash nights. We'll have prayer going. We've launched communities. And uh, we just want to invite you to come along for the ride and be a part of it. Uh, church is not a building to go to. It's a family to belong to. And although we are excited about a weekly gathering, uh, there's so much to jump into even right now. Absolutely. So some preview services in 2022 and then sometime in 2022 yep. when it's really clear to all of us that we're going to go for it, right? Yeah, weekly gathering. Launch. So, yeah. hey, can I make an ask of you? It, this is going to take a ton. Like it's going to take time, talent, treasure, 
plans. And for some of you, you're feeling the nudge already on your heart. Like, I, maybe I should talk to Alex. And I would say, don't, don't ignore that. Like, follow that nudge and go talk to Alex. Be a part of this launch team. We're so, so excited to see what happens, Alex. I got a question for you to yes. end this. So th- this is the question. Like, you got a name for this thing yet? Or like, are you like one of those people that waits till you see the baby and you're like, oh, it looks like a Maximus or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we thought about waiting, but uh, our team has been praying and uh, we did come up with a name and we want to share it with you. Uh, in this video. So go ahead and take a look. Absolutely. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14. This passage speaks of a day where the whole earth is saturated with the good news of Jesus. And when people are awakened to the reality of Jesus, revival is set to take place. And it's our deep belief that God longs to bring revival to our city. So with God, we long to see revival break forth in Bozeman in an unmistakable way. We long to see a city saturated with the good news of the gospel, a people awakened to the reality of a life with Jesus, a place where hope breaks forth in every corner of the city. Lives are turning back to God. Marriages are restored. People are set free from addictions and bondage and godly leaders rise up to influence culture. As God brings revival to people, he brings revival to cities. It's with this vision we're excited to partner with God in bringing a new church community to downtown Bozeman in 2022. This will be a church for all people from all walks of life to encounter the beauty of Jesus. Our prayer is this, to see revival break forth in our day in a way that's unprecedented, unpredictable, and uncontainable. So revival became our prayer, and our prayer became our name. Revival is the name of this new expression in downtown Bozeman, and we're so excited. Um, how we got there is kind of a cool story. We, we were chatting with a gentleman, and uh, I was having coffee with this guy. Uh, he's been praying for revival in our city for over 50 years, and uh, sitting down with him, and you, you ever know when you're just with someone who spent a lot of time with the Lord, you can just tell. Uh, their countenance is different, spirit's different, uh, they have a humility to them. And um, I started asking them questions, because part of what I wanted to do when we first got here was uh, talk to the spiritual fathers of this valley, people that have been grinding it out in ministry here for years, uh, people like Pastor Bob and, and, and so many more. And so I was sitting next to this gentleman, and he said, you know, Alex, we've been praying for revival for 50 years in Bozeman, and we think it's coming. And his eyes started to tear up, and he, he had a bit of a quiver on his lip because he just sensed and knew that something was going to happen for our city, that God was near. And so we decided, you know, our prayer is revival. We want to see God do something that's unprecedented, unpredictable, uncontainable, and so we're going to name the church that. And so we named it Revival, and we're excited about what God is going to do uh, through everyone who said yes so far. And some of you are in the room, and I say thank you. It counted an honor to just get to be one of the leaders uh, for this downtown location. Uh, Jesus is the pastor of the church. We 
get to maybe hold a microphone um, and play the instruments, but Jesus is gonna pastor this church. So thank you, Journey, from my family and I that we get to help lead this downtown expression. We're so excited for what is going to happen. Revival really is, when you think about it, and one of our leaders termed it this way, and I think it's beautiful, a coming to life, a a coming to life in our marriages, in, in our homes, in our city, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our friendships, or maybe in our faith. It's a coming to life. This is what God specializes in, bringing revival to people so that he can bring revival to cities. God changes cities through people. Once you taste and see how good God is, you can't help but go give it away. And so we called this church revival because that is what we long to see happen in downtown Bozeman. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, with that, I want to jump into a continuation of our series, Gospel for Everyone. And I get to preach one of my favorite Bible verses, Bible stories. And I think I say that every time I'm up here. I got a lot of favorites. I'm sorry. The Bible's good. And we're going to be in Luke 15 today, often titled The Prodigal Son, but we're going to see by the end of it, uh, it probably should have a bit of a different name, Luke 15. Uh, if you have a paperback Bible, I want to see it. Raise it up, raise it up, raise it up. All the true Christians in the house. Nice, there's like five of us. Everyone under 30's got an iPad. Yes, I'm under 30. Maybe not, maybe. We'll see. Um, Luke 15, verse one through three, and we're gonna jump over to 11. We're gonna get some Bible reading in today. I want to pray before we get into this beautiful scripture, and then I'm excited to see what the Lord has for us. Father, thank you for the moments now we share around your word that has stood the test of time. We say it often, nations will come and go, governments will come and go, philosophies will come and go, ideas will come and go, fads will come and go, but your word endures forever. And so we lean into your story. In fact, we We ask that you would invite us into your story for our life. Some of us today need an encouragement. Some of us today need hope. Some of us today need a new deposit of faith because the circumstance or the mountain or the call we got this week is just too big for us. The diagnosis, the relationship, we we need you to bring revival to our heart. Would you bring to life today? the hearts in this room that are represented. And I I could never know what everyone's going through, but you do. So I I, I pray you would take this message and divide it up on every individual heart in this room and everyone watching online and speak a word to them. Jesus, let your voice be the loudest we hear. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Verse one says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, stop for a second. Little seminary break. Uh, let me geek out for a second. That, that, that word, all gathering around, it's the progressive Greek verb for, it was always happening. This wasn't a one-time occurrence with Jesus. Like, oh, I'm gonna one time just show the world that I came for sinners. I'm gonna eat with them. We're gonna have some Chick-fil-A. It's gonna be fun. No, this was an everyday, ongoing, part of his rhythm of life. Jesus eight with sinners. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
Jesus seeing this group of people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, as well as the tax collectors and the sinners. He's got two pockets of humanity, two types of people, two types of stories we will find our own story in. He says, let me tell you a parable. Let me tell you a parable. And he goes on to say this in verse 11. Jesus continued, he says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set out for a distant country and then squandered his wealth in Las Vegas in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I love this. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm gonna set out. I'm gonna go back to my father. I'm gonna say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. There's no way I'm worthy to be called your son, but make me at least like one of your hired servants. I'll, I'll, I'll mop the floors. I'll hold the door. I'll clean the tables. I just wanna be home. So he got up and went to his father. Just a minute, let's take and pause and ponder the younger brother. See, there's two types of people that Jesus was telling this parable to, the tax collectors and sinners, the younger brothers. And then he was also telling this parable to the teachers of the law and the scribes and the Pharisees, the older brother we're gonna see in a moment in this story. But first, the younger brother the younger brother, who decided that he wanted to live independent of God. C.S. Lewis has this famous quote. He says, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Some of us have lived that life. Some of us, like King Solomon in the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you haven't read it yet, I tell every college kid to read the book of Ecclesiastes because you will save so much life if you see a gentleman who had all resources available to him, King Solomon, all power available to him, all control available to him. He decided, I'm gonna test out all of life, everything. I'm gonna drink as much as I can. I'm gonna build as much as I can. I'm gonna have sex with as many women as I can. And he comes to the end of his life and he says, it's not worth it. It's the chasing after the wind. To live independent of God, this story of man trying to find something other than God to fill his soul. King Solomon says, what is life is, it's but to worship God and praise him and give your life over to him. This is the meaning of life. The God who created us knows us most and loves us most. Therefore, he knows the plan that is best for our life. I find it interesting sometimes when I sit down with people and, and uh, sometimes college kids, sometimes older, uh, sometimes young, like all across the board. And the one thing I find in common often, and I was in that seat so many times before and I still am, is like my plan for my life 
It just, it just could never match a God who is eternal. I'm 34, he's eternity. He's got some years on me, yeah? He can see farther than I see. He knows better than I know. He's seen every part of my story. Why wouldn't you wanna give your life, give your plans, give your time to a God and a father like that? This son, the younger brother, he said, no, I gotta see the world. I gotta explore. Isn't that the temptation of the garden with Adam and Eve? In Genesis, God creates this beautiful shalom-like paradise of Eden. Not just beautiful in looks, but it's perfect in pleasure because you have man and woman and God and just relationship that's rich and pure and good. But then the first humans, Adam and Eve, decide, I need something else than this. And so goes the long story of human history. This younger brother didn't love his father. He just loved his stuff. He wanted his share of his father's inheritance to spend on himself. He, he asked his father, would you grant me my inheritance and allow me to go wild and out in the streets of Jerusalem? This son goes off to a, a far land and he squanders it all. And then he gets to this point where he's down and out, completely spent, Broke financially, physically, spiritually. So much so there was a famine in the land and he went to work for one of the citizens of the country and he started to feed the pigs and he gets to a moment, some would call rock bottom, where he's like, man, I, I'd love to just eat what that pig's eating right now. That looks delicious. And I've, I've been to some, some rock bottoms in life, but I've never been there. I've never been with out food. I've never been without that kind of just need. I mean, he literally was broke spiritually, physically, mentally, financially. Isn't it part of God's grace to allow us to wander? What I think is so interesting about the story is the father didn't keep him in the house. If I could destroy an assumption today, God is not a far off God, this ominous figure in the sky that's a task master. He's a gentleman. He allows his son to go experiencing the world, knowing that what he'll taste and see will never be as good as being in the father's house. And so he allows it. And here he, this son is in the middle of a pig pen, looking at the food the pigs are eating. And they're like, that looks delicious. He says, I got, I got to do something about this. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to go back to my father. He says, when he comes to his senses, this is the awakening that happens in our life. Have you been there, friend? Do you remember the time where Jesus met you? He awakened your heart to the reality of Jesus. For me, 18, 19 years ago on a church on 19th Street, sitting under the weight of a gospel preaching, and I, I heard the gospel go out, probably for the hundredth time, and I responded, which told me a lesson as well as we evangelize and preach and try to live out a life of faith. Not everyone will say yes to Jesus the first time or the first time the gospel is presented. Man, drop seeds in people's life. Be Jesus to people. Continue, continue to pray because it might be the hundredth time. Would you be willing to be the 99th person if you knew the next time that person was gonna receive it. And on 
that day I did, I felt the weight of my sin, but I also felt in that same moment, God's overwhelming love coming and forgiving it all. Revival happens when a heart is awakened to the reality of Jesus. When a heart is awakened to the goodness of the Father. And for the younger brother, his heart is awakened to what it was like to be in the Father's house. And so he develops a plan. He puts together his alibi, which we often do in life. He, he puts together his thesis and how he's gonna get back into God's good graces. And he heads back home. I love this in verse 20. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That's a reckless kind of love. That's a love that, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how far and how long it's been since we've had a conversation, son, I love you. God's love closes the gap. This is what makes Christianity unique across all the different religions and faith-based systems of the world. And even cultures of the world, every other faith-based system, culture, ideology, philosophy, is asking and putting it upon the person to work your way towards enlightenment, fulfillment, God, destiny. And the great offer of the gospel is that God gloriously works his way to us. He closes the gap. This, is a, this picture is typifying, pointing to, it's a neon sign to ultimately the meta-narrative of scripture, which is Jesus came for us, which is what we're gonna celebrate in a couple weeks. The infant king surrendered his crown to come to earth and, and get his hands dirty, not to be served, but to serve. God's love closes the gap. And no matter how far away you feel from God this morning, no matter how long it's been since you've prayed, no matter how long it's been since you've talked to him, maybe you're like me, you spend a lot of time in church and sometimes the ministry machine gets in the way of intimacy. Sometimes we become that famous story, the Martha, that's trying to work everything out in the house, have all the strategy. You should ask, ask the leaders for downtown or my wife or my family how many different times I've you know, tried to strategize for us for downtown and figure out the perfect location and venue and launch date. And then I have men and women come into my life and say, let's pray. Let's sit at the feet of the Lord. We will have a strategy. We already do. We will have a venue. We already do. We will have a timeline. We already do. But there is nothing more important then surrendering my vision, surrendering my plans, surrendering my life for that of the Lord's. No matter how far you feel from God today, I wonder if you think about your relationship with him. I you to think about this. Who do you think's moved? Him or you? Because if you feel far from God today, it's not him that's moved. God is for you. He is close to you. He's near the brokenhearted. And as we see in this story, he's sitting on the porch of heaven, so to speak, just waiting for his kids to turn home. And this father, this love 
His compassion compelled him to start to run towards his son, which also preaches to me another lesson about how we live like the father and have the father's heart is how you see someone is how you're gonna go to them. How you see people is how you will go to them. If you see them unworthy of love, you're not gonna go to them. If you see them as controlling and manipulative and, and someone who's maybe fractured a relationship, you're not gonna go to them. If you see them as elite or if you see them as nameless and homeless, you, you might not go to them. But if you see them as someone worthy of grace, if you see them with the image of God stamped on them, incredible worth, you will run to them. And if you carry the Father's heart, you'll, you'll carry the, Father, the Father's feet. It's interesting how the Father runs and closes the gap to his son. This is a God who runs, which is really interesting, is it not? This is a God who runs. It says in verse 20 again, filled with compassion, he sees his son, he runs, and he throws his arms around him and kisses him, as if to say, welcome home. Now, here's what's interesting about men who ran in Jewish culture in that day and age. I know it's like fashionable for especially the, the, the millennial guys to like do the, the, the high, high shorts. You know this? Have you seen this? Like it's just getting higher and higher, guys, the high shorts in the summertime. I don't know what that's all about, but what I know is that that would have got you into some weird trouble in ancient Jewish culture. It was shameful to show your legs for some reason in that culture, okay? I don't know. I didn't write it. Bible is in the Bible, okay? So for a father, let alone a figure of the city, a leader of the city, to run meant this. He would have had to hike up his tunic, his toga, whatever it was, tunic, toga, toga party, like he would have had to hike it up and he would have had to run because you can't run with a, a tunic that's tight around your feet. And so he would have had to embarrass himself, bring shame upon himself so that his son wouldn't have been shamed. And then there's this beautiful scholarly school of thought that another reason why the father ran was because in first century Jewish culture, there was this thing where if, if a Jewish son lost his inheritance among Gentiles and then they returned home, the community would perform a ceremony. It wasn't a good ceremony. It was called a kezah. It sounds fun. It's not fun at all. They would break a large pot in front of the person who had squandered their wealth, who had been a younger brother, who had disowned the family and disowned the community. They'd break a pot in front of them and they'd yell, you're now cut off from your people. The community would totally reject him. He would be at the village gate and the kezah ceremony would be performed whereby he would be seen as an outcast who no one would take in except for the father. Some believe that the reason why this was inputted into Luke's scripture, and I contend that it's an incredible interpretation is that the father was running to the son to get the first word. The father was running to the son to offer forgiveness and grace before the city could offer shame. The father was running to the son to say, son, welcome home before the city could cancel him. What if it was said about our churches that we were a church that ran to the brokenhearted, the down and out, the rich and famous, the poor and nameless, 
you name it. We were a church that ran. We carried the Father's heart to the city. You have a God who closes the gap. You have a God who runs. And then you have a God in verse 21 who wants to instill identity into his son. The son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. This is his alibi. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it's almost like the father didn't hear him. Check this out. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and now is found. So they began to have a revival celebration. The son goes to the father with an alibi. The father comes to the son with grace. Yes, repentance is visible in this scripture. Yes, the son repented and turned and is wanting to come back into the father's house to retake on and recommit his life to the father's ways. But the father full of grace and truth it almost felt through the scripture. This is welcome home. Let's throw a party for you. The robe that he gives him represents royalty and righteousness. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. If you're in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, you are clothed with the robe of righteousness. It's now Christ who lives in you, not you. And so he gives the son this robe. And then he gives the son a ring, which was his promise and commitment, the commitment between God and man that the father and the son had no beginning and no end. It was a representation of God's love. He throws the coat on him, throws the robe on him. He, he puts a ring on his finger and then he puts sandals on his feet. This is where I wanna land for the last minute here. Sons wore sandals, servants didn't. Sons wore sandals, servants didn't. He was showing his young son that although you don't see that you could ever be my son again, you wanna come back as a servant, I've always seen you as my son. You're my son over a servant. You ever get to a place in life where you're just wondering like, I wonder if anyone, especially God, could accept me. I wonder if what I've done disqualifies me or what I can't seem to get over is making me invalid. Have you ever been to the point of breaking where you're just like, man, I, I just take a hello from someone because I'm lonely and lost. The Father's running towards you today. No matter how far you've been, no matter how long it's been since you've had a conversation with him, the younger brother represents all of us. At some point or another, all of us have been a younger brother. All of us have wanted to live independent of God. All of us have decided, you know what? I'm better off without you, God. 
And God in his grace and mercy allowed us to go taste and see what the world had to offer. And then he closes the gap. And then he runs towards you. And then he declares over you, son or daughter, you're no longer a servant. You're in royalty. You're in family. I have a plan for your life. It's beyond your imagination. I love this text because it exemplifies the heart of the father. It exemplifies what it looks like to be loved by God. And I'm gonna go ahead and call the worship team up or the keys up. What's up, Andy? How you doing? Looking good. I wanna close with this. There's still one character that we haven't got to touch on. Remember, Jesus is telling this parable to both tax collectors and sinners and scribes and Pharisees, both younger brothers and older brothers. And so the father invites the younger brother back into the home. They throw a celebration for him. There's this huge party. And then there's someone outside the party. There's someone who can't believe this is all happening. It's the older brother. He became angry and he refused to go in in verse 28. It says, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've been coming to church early. I even get my kids checked in like 15 minutes before, like they say. I read my Bible five times this week. I've never disobeyed your orders. Who's doing it with the wrong motivation? I sat in church for so long. I sat in church for so long thinking that my works were going to gain me intimacy with God, that my righteousness, my right living was somehow gonna welcome me into the family of God, that somehow I needed to clean the stains off my life before I could come into God's presence. The older brother represents the hyper-religious elite that are dependent upon their own works for salvation, dependent upon their own living for God's acceptance. But even to the older brother, watch what the father says. My son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. We have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. It's possible to be in the father's house and and not have the father's heart. It's possible to be at church and not carry church in you. And the father goes out and pleads with this older brother who thought he did everything right in life, the perfect resume, that he was gonna show his dad for acceptance. And the dad just says, I love you because I love you. I love you because I love you. Isn't it beautiful that true love is the acceptance of all that is, all that has been, all that will be, and all that will not be. That's true love. And the father is declaring to both camps, both stories, both narratives, both life paths, younger brother or older brother, welcome home. Come on in. Let's feast. This is where life begins with me. This is where revival takes place with me. You've been trying to do your marriage independent of me. You've been trying to run the business independent of me. You've been trying to 
go to college independent of me. Why don't you come home? Why don't you learn the rhythms of my house? Learn what grace looks like. Walk in forgiveness. Come spend time with me. I'll show you how life works. So I don't know where you are in the story of life. Whether you're young, old, younger brother, older brother. But I know without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is declaring something here. That no matter how far you've gone, no matter how far it seems like you still are, God is inviting you into his house, inviting you to come home. I've seen men and women give their life to the Lord at 65, 75, 80. It it is never too late. I've seen young people, a seven-year-old, give their life to the Lord at a young age. I've seen people that were homeless come into church and feel the warmth of God's love because they were that younger brother. And I've seen the religious, I've seen pastors who thought they were following Jesus or leaders in the church who thought they were following Jesus and come to understand that, man, my works for God did not equate my intimacy with God. It is so much better to know God than to know about him. And so wherever you are in the scope of this story, you have to hear there's a God who closes the gap. There is a God who runs to you so that you hear the voice of acceptance, love, and the kindness that leads you to turn in repentance and, and follow him. And finally, there's a voice that speaks over you. You're my son, you're my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Just come home. I wanna pray. Father, thank you for the moments we share. I think you've bringing some people to a, an intersection, a crossroads of sorts of Am I still living independent of God or maybe I'm living dependent upon my works? I just want you. And for whoever that is in here today, man, they they sense or feel that maybe God hasn't seen them in a while. I pray they know that you've never moved. You don't move on from us. You're madly in love with us. You're for us. You have a plan. You have a, you've prepared a, a life for us that's life to the full. And you ask us to come home. And you ask us, Father, for those of us that are home, to carry your heart to a broken world around us, to our city, to our neighborhood, to the people and corners and spaces of this valley that you've given us. And so wherever we are on the spectrum this morning, Father, I pray in this next song as we get up and we worship you, I pray there would be a a commitment to you made for some of us. Lord, I commit, I'm I'm gonna turn over my life to you and live for you. I've seen face to face now your love. Or maybe for some of us, they need to just recommit our life to in our marriage, our work to you. God, I want you to take center stage in my marriage. I want you to take center stage in my plans. It's impossible for me to create a life that you could create. And so I just, I give myself over to that. Wherever you are, I pray that in this next song, as we're gonna stand and worship, I pray that you'd have a moment with the Lord 
And Father, I pray you do it only you can do. Change hearts. Move into people's loneliness. Flood their hearts with acceptance and love. Bring revival to the person in here today that's been feeling alone, lost, dead, and without hope. I pray that you would bring revival for that person right now, a coming to life as their heart is awakened to the beauty of what it looks like to be in the Father's house with the joy and the love and the righteousness all passed down to us. And let us be a church and a church family that always extends that to our city and that runs after people. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.